You're listening to The Encounter Podcast, featuring the latest messages and teachings by David Diga Hernandez. Don't forget to subscribe. The Encounter Podcast, encounter the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? I want to tell you all about my friend, the precious Holy Spirit. This revelation will change your life. It will change your prayer life. It will change the way you read the word. It will change the way you worship. It will change the way you evangelize. It will change the way even you resist temptation. Temptation will begin to lose its power over your life. When you understand who the Holy Spirit is and who the Holy Spirit is in you, what he does, this revelation, and that is not hyperbole, that is not hype, I'm not exaggerating. This revelation will transform your walk with God. And I mean profoundly when you truly understand who the Holy Spirit is. Now, for me, this revelation began to unfold when I began to realize that the Holy Spirit is not just a force or a feeling. You can feel him and certainly he has power and might and force, but the Holy Spirit is not just a force. He's not just a feeling. He can be known as a friend. And in fact, I believe that the Holy Spirit wants a friendship with you more than you want a friendship with him. You've heard it said that God loves you, and that's true. You've heard it said that Jesus loves you, and that's true also. But I want you to think about the fact that the Holy Spirit loves you. He loves you with the perfect love. He abides with you. If you're a born-again believer, you have the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse 9 makes it perfectly clear that you receive the Holy Spirit at the very moment of salvation. The Holy Spirit is not a reward for holiness. He's your source for holiness. You are not given the Holy Spirit based upon your performance. You are given the Holy Spirit so that you can perform in a way that pleases God, so that you can live a lifestyle of obedience. And he doesn't come in measures. There is no baby Holy Spirit, new convert Holy Spirit, or portions of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes upon a life, when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you, he dwells in fullness of power. The same Holy Spirit, Romans 8, 11, who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. The same Holy Spirit who was in the apostles dwells in you. The same Holy Spirit who hovered above the face of the deep as the Father spoke words and caused all creation to come into existence. That same Holy Spirit dwells in you. The same Holy Spirit who stirred the prophets of old to speak prophetic oracles. The same Holy Spirit who inspired psalms in the heart of David, worshipful stanzas of worship and music. And then he's also the one who inspired wisdom in Solomon. He, of course, also dwells in you. We have to remember that. And again, he's the same Holy Spirit, not a different one, not a smaller one, not a Holy Spirit light, but the true Holy Spirit, the one and only, the very same who walked with the disciples as they began to carry out the gospel message and spread it all around the world. That is the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. And again, he can be known as a friend. He is personal. Now, when I say that the Holy Spirit is a person, usually people begin to panic. And what's conjured in their mind is this idea that I'm saying that the Holy Spirit is a human being. The Holy Spirit is not a human being. The Holy Spirit is a person. I mean that he is personal. And I'm going to go over with scripture what that means exactly. But this is important to know right up at the top because many of us imagine 
the Holy Spirit as the emotion that we feel when we walk into a church service where God is moving. Or perhaps he's a mist that's floating in the air and just kind of stirring about the atmosphere. But no, the Holy Spirit is a personal being. He is the indwelling presence of God. He is God dwelling within you. He is the seal of your salvation. He is the one who teaches you the word as you read, who inspires you to pray prayers that align with his, like as we see in Romans chapter 8, verse 26. He is the one who causes you to evangelize with boldness. Just ask Peter, who denied Jesus three times, yet when the Holy Spirit came upon him, he speaks a word and 3,000 are added to the church. The Holy Spirit works with you day in and day out, moment by moment. He does not leave you when you make a mistake. He's not impatient. He faithfully abides with you, helping you to draw closer to Jesus because that's what he does. He points to Jesus. He glorifies Jesus. He magnifies Jesus. He highlights Jesus. That which is spirit-led will always be Jesus-centered. So I could go on and on talking about some of the works of the Holy Spirit, what he does, and maybe I'll cover a little bit more of that in a moment. But let's just establish this thought. Let's get this in our spirits. The Holy Spirit is a person. And this is important because if you think the Holy Spirit is an it, you'll want to use it. But when you know that the Holy Spirit is a person, you'll say, Holy Spirit, use me. But we have to understand, again, that he is a personal being. Now, this transformed my life, as I said, when I found out that he could be known as a person because in my religious thinking, I had thought that he was just a force. I didn't realize that there was this indwelling presence of God in my life and that I could commune with him, I could talk to him, he could talk to me, and that he would actually help guide me and work with me in all of the different responsibilities that I had as a born-again believer. As a child of God, we're given responsibilities. As a child of God, you're given certain tasks and certain spiritual disciplines that you have to implement, and the Holy Spirit works with you in all of those. And so he's the one that helps you carry out the Christian life. Maybe, maybe you've been exhausted because of your walk with God. Well, if you're exhausted because of your walk with God, you're giving from the wrong source. You're giving from self instead of from the Holy Spirit. Now, when it comes to working with the Holy Spirit or surrendering with the Holy Spirit, or as Galatians 5 talks about, walking with the Holy Spirit or letting him work in your lives, I call that flowing with the Holy Spirit. By that, I just simply mean obeying him, walking with him, listening for his voice, doing what the word says. When it comes to that, you have to remember that it's not a formula. It's a flow. It's a relationship. It's something that you learn that's taught by the Holy Spirit in the realm of the Spirit. And these are the deeper things of God. When I first learned this, it absolutely revolutionized my walk with God. Because before then, I had always envisioned that God was this distant figure off a million miles away. And I thought that prayer was my audition for God's attention. And that's how many believers treat prayer, isn't it? Maybe that's how you view it. It's your audition for God's attention, that prayer is you trying to negotiate time with God, trying to beg God to give you his attention, to even look in your direction. And many believers imagine that God is just kind of slightly irritated with us and putting up with us and just reluctant to even spend any time with us, but that's not it at all. He dwells within us by the Holy Spirit. 
And once you recognize that, I don't have to beg for God's presence. I don't have to plead. I don't have to cry and, and jump up and down and scream out loud. And it's okay if that's how you worship. That's fine if you're truly inspired to do those things. But you don't have to do any of that to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God's gift to you. He's the promise of the Father who came to dwell in you the very moment you were born again. And now you have the Holy Spirit. And now he walks with you. And when I learned that, it was a game changer. It changed everything. He changed the way I talked. He changed the way I thought. He helped me to be confident in who I am in him. He did away with my insecurities. He helped me work through my temptations. And I really began to notice that change. That was the change. If you see anything different about this ministry, if you sense anything different on the content, maybe as you're listening to this, you sense the presence of the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, there's not something special about me. There's someone special around me. He's the Holy Spirit. That's the difference maker. That is the difference, the Holy Spirit. And once I began to truly surrender to him, once I began to know him and commune with him and fellowship with him and acknowledge, that's a big one, acknowledge that he's there with me at all times, then I began to see boldness, holiness, joy overflowing, peace that's stable even in chaotic situations. Love, he helps me to love. Romans 5, 5 says the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. In other words, he's the one that causes us to love God and to love others. And so this really is a revolutionary once you realize that you're not begging to be connected with God, but the scripture declares he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. That's it, it's done. You are already one with him. And out of that oneness comes prayer. Out of that oneness comes ministry. Out of that oneness comes the fruit of the spirit. Out of that oneness comes boldness for evangelism and the power and the grace to resist temptation. That's where it comes from. And it changes everything. It begins to affect not even just your soul, that is your mind, your will, your emotions. So what you desire begins to change. What you think begins to change. What you feel begins to change. But he also affects your physical being where cravings that are ungodly begin to die. They become weak. It can even get to the point where people can sense the glory of the presence of God around your physical being. Now, this isn't necessarily 24-7 for every believer, but you may catch glimpses of that every now and then. Moments where the glory of God even begins to tangibly, physically affect your body, and people can sense the presence of the Holy Spirit around you. That's the difference that's made when you walk into a room because of the Holy Spirit who dwells with you. You bring peace with you. You bring joy with you. And if you don't bring those things, you have to ask yourself, am I truly surrendered to the Holy Spirit? Because John 7, 38 declares that out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And that's a beautiful thing when that begins to manifest, when that begins to reveal itself. Because now when they look at you, they no longer see you. They see Jesus. Okay. I'm, I'm getting a bit ahead of, my, ahead of myself here. I mean, let me focus in. I get very, very excited when I talk about the person of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so notice first here, John 15, 26, he's referred to as a who. But I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the Father and will test about, testify all about me. So there, it refers to him at, with personhood. He doesn't say it will come to you. It says he will come to you. He's referred to as a who. John 16, 13, and 14. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own initiative, 
but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. Well, there we see, of course, that he's a person. He's referred to as a he and that, as I mentioned a moment ago, he glorifies Jesus. He magnifies Jesus. Next, we see in Acts chapter 8, verse 29. So we, we see there that he's referred to as a who with personhood. Then we see that he speaks. So he has a voice. Acts chapter 8, verse 29, even something as practical as this, the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. Now here we see a very specific instruction being given to Philip. This was not scripture per se. That is not the Old Testament prophets or the Old Testament records. Uh, nor was this an epistle, nor was this an instruction from an apostle. This was the Holy Spirit spoken directly to his heart, spirit to spirit, that communication. Now, you've often heard it said that because the word of God is sufficient, that the Holy Spirit doesn't need to say anything. Well, this just isn't true. In fact, it's because the word of God is sufficient that we can hear the Holy Spirit in the first place. Why? Because the word of God is the foundation upon which the Holy Spirit will move. The word of God, the truths of scripture, are the building blocks with which the Holy Spirit creates the image of Christ in you. Now, when it comes to the word, the word is not a barrier to the Holy Spirit. The word is not in conflict with the Holy Spirit. The word is that foundation. So the scripture is sufficient in that it did its job to connect you to an active, living, breathing relationship with God through his Holy Spirit. So it's those who think that the Holy Spirit does not speak directly to us anymore that have an issue with the sufficiency of Scripture. I believe it's sufficient, and therefore I believe it's done its job to actually connect me with God and not just tell me about him. Additionally, some will say, well, if it's in the Word, the Holy Spirit doesn't need to say it. If it's not in the word, the Holy Spirit wouldn't say it. Now, that type of thinking is a false dichotomy, and it fails to take into account those specific instructions that we need for everyday life. How do you know where you should live, what job you should have, who you should marry, who your business partner should be? what church you should attend, what school you should attend, where you should have your major. All of these decisions, some of those are large decisions, and then sometimes the Holy Spirit could even speak to us about very specific decisions that we make. I, for example, have a testimony where I came to a stop at an intersection. It was, also, it was a four-way stop sign intersection, and the Holy Spirit urgently spoke to me, wait. So I just waited. And moments later, a car came through, Headlights not on. This was in the nighttime. And that car went right through the intersection without stopping at the stop sign. Now, I don't know if I would have been, you know, taken from this earth necessarily, but I definitely avoided something I didn't want to be involved in. And that was thanks to the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking specifically directly to me. So, yes, the Holy Spirit primarily speaks to the word. Yes, the word creates the foundation of our understanding with God and our relationship with him. But the word of God also helps us to connect with the Holy Spirit, to know his voice, to learn his voice. And therefore, the Holy Spirit still speaks today about those specific instructions for everyday life. So he has a voice. And that's wonderful to have that when you think about that. Think about the fact that everywhere you go, the Holy Spirit goes with you. So imagine this, the one who can see the future, the one who's aware of everything all the time 
the one who can see behind the intents and the motives of the people around you, the one who can hear what they say when you're not around. He speaks to you. What an advantage in life. What a privilege. That truly is the greatest advantage in this life, knowing the voice of the Holy Spirit. Because when he speaks, he can cause you to be at the right place, at the right time, under the correct circumstances with the right people when they're in the right mood. And he can cause all sorts of doors to open and he can even close doors that he doesn't want you to walk through. I can't tell you how many times I've had to say to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, I need your instruction. I need your help. If this is not of you, I need you to slam this door in my face. And he has. And I'm, spiritual, I'm speaking of spiritual doors, okay? Unless someone misquote me there. So he speaks. So he is a person. And again, don't be offended by that. I'm not saying he's a, a human being. I'm saying he's personal. So he's a person. He is one with a voice. He has a will. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11 says, But all these worketh that one and the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. This is speaking of the spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit gives those out as he wills. So the Holy Spirit has a will. The Holy Spirit has feelings. Many believers totally overlook this fact. Ephesians 4.30, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Now, there's a lot to unpack here. But first, let me mention that when I first began ministry, I was afraid of the criticisms of people. Let me just tell you honestly, I was. Their words affected me deeply. Today, not so much. When people say things, I'm able to even laugh some of the things off and just go, it is what it is. That just comes with uh, being in ministry and it doesn't hurt the way they think it hurts. It's actually going to ultimately help me. So I just leave it be, let it be in God's hands. My policy is typically just stay silent, don't respond and let God handle it. Unless of course the Lord leads you to respond, then you respond. So I'm not really afraid of man anymore. And I used to, when I first began to practice deliverance ministry, be afraid of demons you know, many believers treat demons like they're pathogens. They imagine that if you shake hands with someone who is demonized, that their demons are going to come on you like a virus and that you're going you're gonna to get them all over you. And that's how we respond. Get these demons off of me. I, I shook hands with the demoniac. My friend, if that's the way you think, you don't understand the power of the Holy Spirit. Because if you shake hands with the demoniac, you didn't know they were a demoniac, you shook their hand, that spirit is not jumping onto you that demonic spirit is going to jump off of them because greater is he who's in me than he that is in the world. So the Holy Spirit in you actually would force that demonic power out. This, of course, is why we know that Christians cannot be indwelt with by demons. We know they can be attacked, oppressed. Demons can come against them, but the demons cannot influence from within because there's a stronger man in there, and that's the person of the Holy Spirit. So I'm not afraid of the criticisms of man. I'm not afraid of people. I don't fear man, and I don't fear demons. I do fear grieving the Holy Spirit. And many believers, if they were to simply change their fear from punishment to grieving him, they would break the power of legalism. Because love, not law, is the great motivator of holiness. This is for someone listening. I know that right now. 
Love, not law, is the great motivator of holiness. The law produces pride if you think you're doing a perfect job, or it produces despair if you think it cannot be done. But love of God, love of the Holy Spirit, love of Jesus, to live from that love and to say, I don't want to hurt them. I don't want to grieve them. I don't want to remove from myself the sense of their presence, not their presence, the sense of their presence. I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. That's how believers live. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. So the Holy Spirit, with his power, might, and strength, seals you unto the day of redemption. So he has you secure. Now, many Christians imagine that when they make a mistake, the Holy Spirit abandons them. But the, but the scripture doesn't say the Holy Spirit leaves. It says he grieves. When you make a mistake, the seal of your salvation, the Holy Spirit, doesn't leave, he grieves. But he grieves within you. And this, by the way, is why those who are compromising Christians are probably the most miserable group of people on earth. Compromising Christians are the most miserable group of people on earth. Why? Because they cannot, they cannot live in the torment of the grieving spirit within them. The Holy Spirit is broken over our disobedience. He's broken over our sin. And I don't mean that in the literal sense. I mean that in that he grieves, he's, he's hurt. His heart breaks for us. And so we can, we can feel that. You know, when you make a mistake as a believer, you know, when you were in the world, you made a mistake or you sinned, it was, it, was, it was nothing to you. You do that now as a believer. Oh, you can sense this heaviness. You can sense the hand of the Lord weighing heavily upon you, his hand of correction. And that is the grieving of the Holy Spirit within you. So when you make a mistake, he doesn't leave, he grieves. Some might say, well, David, are you telling us that we can just go on sinning? And some would even say, be careful, David. Now they're going to think they can go on sinning. Well, no, because a true Christian wouldn't do that. A true Christian wouldn't desire that. A true Christian has a desire to live holy. And in fact, they sense that godly sorrow whenever they do make that mistake. So we see that he's a person. He speaks. He has a will. He has feelings. We can fellowship with him. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. You can also see Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Now that verse right there, 2 Corinthians 13, 14, that verse is where really I began to get this revelation. Something in me was stirred unto that truth, and I knew that there was something very deep there. There was something waiting for me. And many believers, once they learn that he's a person, that transforms everything. He has feelings, therefore it's possible that he can be hurt. He has a will, therefore it's possible that he can be resisted. He has a voice, and therefore it's possible that he can be ignored. He desires fellowship, and therefore it's possible that he can be rejected. He is a person, and therefore it's possible that he can be disrespected. Let that not be said of our lives. Let our lives say, Welcome, Holy Spirit. So a little bit of a tangent here. Why then do we refer to him as the Holy Spirit? Now, for the sake of communication and even in social media contexts, 
I'll refer to the Holy Spirit as Holy Spirit, but Holy Spirit is not his name. The Holy Spirit is a title for his personhood. Um, but in fact, you look at Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, you see the scripture where it says, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So for example, the teacher, the police officer, the doctor, the pilot, the word the doesn't take away the personhood. So that's just kind of straining at gnats there to, to make a fuss about that. But you can call him the Holy Spirit. That's proper. Some people refer to him as Holy Spirit or like in the direct address, Holy Spirit, um, we receive you. That would make more sense. Um, but, you know, either way, as long as you're referring to him with reverence, well, the Holy Spirit is the correct term when talking about him. Again, just, just have reverence for him and recognize it's not a name, it's a title. So recognize here, not only is the Holy Spirit a person who speaks, who has a will, who has feelings, who can fellowship with us, and that's a day-by-day -day thing, but the Holy Spirit is distinct from the Father and the Son. 2 Corinthians 13, 14, we read it, the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God, fellowship of the Holy Spirit. We also just read Matthew 28, 19, when I was talking about the word the, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Matthew 3, 16, after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. So here we see that the Holy Spirit is distinct. He is a distinct person, not a role, not a job title. So for example, like when, when you refer to David Hernandez, me, there's the husband, there's the father, there's the evangelist. That is not the same thing as when we talk about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These aren't just different titles or different job descriptions. These are different persons who are being described here in Scripture. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are three distinct persons. So think about this. No one, no true believer denies that the Father is divine. No true believer denies that the Son is divine. Yet when I say that the Holy Spirit is God, many believers cringe in discomfort. And this, again, comes from sort of those religious frameworks that begin to build around our minds, even the frameworks that keep us from addressing the Holy Spirit. Can I talk to the Holy Spirit? Of course you can. The Scripture says fellowship of the Holy Spirit. How are you supposed to fellowship with someone you can't even address? We're kind of taught like, the Father, the Son, but, but don't, 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 don't talk too much about the Holy Spirit as if that's somehow blasphemous. How when he's God? How? If the Holy Spirit is God, yes, maybe each person, distinct persons, has different things that they do or different expressions of work, but still they are equally divine. So look how the Holy Spirit is referred to as the Lord here in 2 Corinthians 3.17. Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Let me stop here just a moment to kind of touch on something that might be in your mind. I'll, I'll, I'll touch on it just a little bit here. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God. They are three distinct persons, one God. That is the mystery of the Trinity. There are many different explanations for that in terms of, or attempted explanations, I should say, for that. But that's just the mystery. I, I like I won't go into it, but there might be a good explanation for how exactly that can be. 
maybe in understanding the different dimensions, like jumping from second to third dimension might help us to understand how um, the Trinity can make logical sense. But that's neither here nor there. I'm going way off on a tangent there. But I will say this, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, each distinct from one another. Yet when I start talking about the Holy Spirit and I start talking about the Son and the Father as three distinct persons, people get offended and say, but he's one God. And they're right. And when I talk about the fact that the Holy Spirit is in the book of Acts called, I think it's Acts chapter 16, he's called the Spirit of Jesus. People get offended and say, no, they're three different persons. So when you talk about the distinctions between the three persons, some people get upset and saying you're not talking about their oneness. When you talk about their oneness, some people get upset and say you're not talking about the fact that they're three distinct persons. Well, it's both and. There are three persons and one God. And that, by the way, is why there's a lot of debate around the subject. It's both and, not either or. And talking about either one of those aspects doesn't mean that you're completely ignoring the other. Let's continue here. Look at here in Isaiah. This is fascinating here. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 8 and 9. Watch this. And this is, of course, Isaiah the prophet's encounter with the Lord. He's being given a message for the nation of Israel. And this is what happens. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And of course, the iconic response, here am I, send me. And he said, go and tell this people, hear ye indeed, but understand not. And see indeed, but perceive not. So look at the phrasing there. Here, the scripture is saying, or Isaiah is recording, that it was the Lord who was saying, who? The Lord God Almighty. Now watch this. In Acts chapter 28, I'm going to read verses 25 and 26. This is powerful. And after they had argued back and forth among themselves, they left with this final word from Paul. The Holy Spirit was right when he said to your ancestors through Isaiah the prophet, go and say to this people, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. So here in Isaiah chapter 6, it's recorded as the Lord saying. And then in Acts chapter 28, we see, of course, that, that what's being described is the Holy Spirit speaking. So there again, we see distinct from one another, yet one in the same. So it was the Holy Spirit speaking to Isaiah the prophet. The Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of God. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 11 through, or 10 through 11, excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 through 12, we see that the Holy Spirit is omniscient. But it was to us that God revealed these things by his Spirit. For his Spirit, guys, these are the deeper things of God right here. I love this. For his Spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. That's what the Holy Spirit does. No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. So the Holy Spirit knows what the Father knows. Therefore, he's omniscient. So God knows all things. The Holy Spirit knows, or the Father knows all things. The Holy Spirit knows what the Father knows. Therefore, the Holy Spirit is omniscient. Otherwise, he couldn't know all the Father knows. The Holy Spirit is omnipotent. That is, he's He's all powerful. Luke chapter one, verse 35. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you 
and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. Notice here that the Holy Spirit's presence coincides with the power of the Most High. In other words, the Holy Spirit's power is the power of the Most High. That's God's power. So he's omnipotent. And then he's omnipresent. This is, he's everywhere at all times. Psalm 139.7 says, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. So this is interesting. We see that the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of God. He's called the Lord. He's, he's, he's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. The Holy Spirit is God. So the truth that each are distinct from one another, yet equally divine and one God, is the basis of the Trinity. Now, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23, they tell us of the Holy Spirit's nature. This is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Now, many believers wonder, how, how do I get the fruit? How do I get the fruit in my life? And if you think that way, you're going to be very frustrated. Lift your hands and just say, Holy Spirit, help me understand this. Ask him, say, help me receive this revelation because this right here will simplify your walk with God. You know, many of us, we come to the Lord, right? And we have our, our list. We get a, a pen maybe and we check things off. We, we say things like, let, let's just go down the list. I, I need to be better at resisting temptation. You put that on the list. And there's so many things to, to track, aren't they? I, I need to pray more often. Let me put that down. I need to read the word more. Put that down. I should attend church more often. I should be more patient. I need to work on the anger issue. I need to be more diligent. I need to be less confused, more purposeful. And right, we start writing these things down, especially as we read the word, especially as we hear the word, especially as we, we, we fellowship with other believers who can help point out these things in our lives that need to be corrected and reformed. We can become overwhelmed. So many things about us that are not like Jesus. So many things that need to be pulled into alignment. So many disciplines that maybe we're not doing the best at. And it, be, it becomes frustrating. It becomes overwhelming. And it might even push you to this place where you throw up your hands and you say, why do I even try? My friend, this is where the Holy Spirit comes in. Now, Please hear what I'm saying clearly. I am not saying that you don't need to be disciplined. I am not saying that you don't need accountability. I am not saying that you don't need to exercise your free will to try to change in certain areas. Absolutely do what you can. What I am saying is that the majority of the work is done, the sanctifying work is done by the Holy Spirit as you behold Jesus, as you spend time in prayer, as you fellowship. In other words, there's no moment spent with the Holy Spirit that's wasted. There's no moment spent acknowledging the presence of the Holy Spirit that won't transform you, at least in some very subtle way. Spending hours with the Holy Spirit, worshiping, praying, pouring over the scripture, 
I may not be able to feel all the ways he's changing me and transforming me, but he is doing a work. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Watch the phrasing here. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Who produces it? But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Who produces it? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Love, that's selflessness. Joy, that's, that's that happiness that comes with gratitude and thanksgiving for the presence of God in your life. Peace, peace with God, peace with others, peace internally. Patience, the ability to endure, not just wait, but wait with a good attitude. Kindness, that's how you treat others. Goodness, that's moral excellence and uprightness. Faithfulness, gentleness, how we could, we could, take, we could spend all day breaking these down. And self-control, self-control is another big one. But there's no law against these things. And so the Holy Spirit works these in our lives. And, and he, he begins to produce that character, that nature. How can he produce this if he's not like this? So the Holy Spirit is loving. The Holy Spirit is joyful. You might see the Holy Spirit as some very serious, stoic force. No, the Holy Spirit is joyful. The Holy Spirit is perfectly at peace. The Holy Spirit is patient. God tells you to be patient with others. You don't think the Holy Spirit's going to be patient with you? The Holy Spirit is kind. The Holy Spirit is good. The Holy Spirit is faithful. He's reliable. He's consistent. The Holy Spirit is gentle. That, that really is more meekness, humility. The Holy Spirit is perfectly in control. And then he allows you to have these fruits manifested in your life. But, but you're not, there's nothing you can do necessarily. Again, willpower, exercise it. Discipline, implement it. Accountability, have that. But ultimately, when it comes down to it, the Holy Spirit is producing the fruit in your life. So you abide in his presence. You spend time with him. You pray. You worship Jesus. You read the word. You fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Acknowledge his presence every day. And you watch the transformation that begins to transpire in you. He helps you to pray, Zechariah 12.10. He teaches you, John 14.26. He's your power unto holiness, Galatians 5.16. You follow after his ways, you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. He helps us to worship, John 4.24. He convinces us that we belong to God, Romans chapter 8, verse 15. He performs the miraculous through us, Galatians 3.5. He gives us faith, 2 Corinthians 4.13. And he gives us boldness, just ask, ask Peter again, as I mentioned, Acts chapter 2. And now I pray you have an encounter in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would have an encounter in his presence and power right now. If you're ready, lift your hands, receive. Don't be distracted by the other things that are available online right now. I understand that when it comes to the end of a teaching, that the flesh is tempted to find now distraction or entertainment. The flesh, remember, always immediately wants what's next, what's new. But I want you to begin to allow the Holy Spirit to take the word that was just spoken, to inspire faith in your heart. I'm, I feel like, and I'm not just saying this lightly, I really sense that many of you are coming into a newness, a freshness, because there's going to be liveliness, vitality that's added to your spiritual walk now that you have this 
revelation of who the Holy Spirit is in you, with you, around you, and for you. Let him begin to do his work now. Father, I pray that you would cause the presence of the precious Holy Spirit to be sensed around that one receiving this prayer now. Let them begin to fill you in the room with them, Lord. Let them sense you near to them. Now, precious Holy Spirit, I pray, show us Jesus like never before. Help us to love Jesus, to know Jesus, to obey Jesus, to share Jesus. We give you the honor and the praise. I want you to say this out loud now. Even if people are around you and they think you're crazy, let them think it. Say this out loud. Say, welcome, Holy Spirit. Yes, he abides in you, but I'm talking about surrendering to his work. Say, welcome, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Let your power begin to flow now, I pray. Touch their lives in a fresh way. Change the atmosphere around them. Let it become a heavenly atmosphere. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help us to be attentive to your voice, aware of your presence. Wait just a moment. Don't rush this. Don't rush this. Receive. Receive. Thank you, Lord. Addiction's being broken right now. I give you the praise, Jesus. Deliverance is taking place. Chains are being broken. Healing virtue is flowing. We give you the glory and the honor, Jesus. Thank you. Touch each life and heart, I pray. We honor you. In Jesus' name, say it because you believe it. Say, amen. Thank you for listening to The Encounter Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. Support the podcast by becoming a monthly supporter or making a one-time donation now. To give, just go to davidhernandezministries.com slash donate. Until next time, remember, Nothing is impossible with God.